Thank you, Hannah, for reading our text for this morning. I really appreciate it. I am so grateful for this opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. This, um, this church has meant a lot to Judy and I over the years. In fact, you were one of our sponsors when we worked as missionaries in the country of Papua New Guinea. And so we are very grateful for you and your involvement in our lives. In fact, there are a number of you here who have played, played a role, no small role, in shaping my life. And too many people to mention, but, you know, I'm gonna try, I have to mention some, like the Pembertons and the Davises and the Wolfords and the Higdons, the Amanettis, the Garzas, the Parnells. Um, I'm a more faithful follower of God because of you, and, and for that I am forever grateful. What makes you feel comfortable? I mean, every single one of us have certain preferences when it comes to our comfort. So what is it that makes you feel comfortable? I'm going to give you five sets of choices, and what I'd like for you to do is shout out your answer. And I know right now you're probably sitting on your lazy boy or on a couch or on the floor at your house, and maybe the blinds or curtains are open and people can walk by and see inside your house and see you, but that's okay. Let's not worry about that. I want you to shout out your answers. So here's your first choice. Do you tend to prefer a lazy boy, a couch, or the floor when you're watching television? Do you tend to prefer a lazy boy, a couch, or the floor? Number two, do you tend to prefer sweet foods or savory foods? What's your preference? Number three, do you tend to prefer cold weather vacations or hot weather vacations? Remember to shout out that answer. Number four, in terms of movies, do you prefer action Comedy or thrillers? And then the last one, number five. Do you prefer solitude? Do you tend to prefer to be alone? Or do you prefer groups? Do you tend to prefer to be with a number of different people? No matter who we are, when it comes to our comfort, we all have preferences. You know, when Judy and I went to Papua New Guinea to minister back in 1985, we were welcomed at the airport by a number of missionaries as well as Papua New Guineans. And after dropping off our baggage at the Agape House where we'd be staying, we crossed the creek and headed over to the Bible training school uh, at which I would be the principal. And it's at that school that I experienced something, a discomfort that I will never forget. One would-be future student ran up to me, grabbed me, picked me up off the ground and said, a Melanesian pigeon, it is so, I'm so happy that you're here and Papua New Guinea to teach us. Thank you. And he continued to squeeze me 
as I mumbled out the words, I'm glad to be here, but as I squirmed, I tried to release myself from his python grip. And I wiggled and squirmed, and I'm, I'm just saying to myself, please put me back on the ground. This is uncomfortable. And after a few minutes, he finally put me back on solid ground. But no sooner had he done that, than he immediately grabs my hand and starts swinging it as we walk down the path. And talking with me once again, how happy he is that I'm here. Now, I am really, I was happy to be in Papua New Guinea, but you need to understand at this point, there are all sorts of alarms going off inside of my head. I mean, words like uncomfortable, awkward. My wife doesn't even hold my hand this much. I am not feeling this. Now, God, I'm saying to myself, God, I came here to teach these people about you. And I did not expect this kind of discomfort to be part of the bargain. I am not used to this. Give me back my hand. Give me back my space. He finally let my hand go. So at this point, I could breathe. Now things were back to normal. Now I felt a bit more comfortable. In the book of Acts, we encounter a number of people who exchange a life that they were used to for one that involved a new beginning. New beginnings, that's another word for change. Giving up what you were comfortable with for something that's new, something that's different. A conversion of sorts. In the first ten chapters of Acts, we see a number of people experiencing a new beginning, a transformation. They became a follower of Jesus Christ. In Acts 2, a crowd of 3,000 scoffers who transformed into repentant believers on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian man becomes enlightened and is baptized and then returns to his country with a newfound mission. In Acts chapter 9, a raging enemy of the church changes and becomes a courageous brother. Saul becomes Paul. And in our text this morning, we have a Gentile soldier receiving the Holy Spirit, who is later baptized and then is adopted by a Jewish church. And God uses a reluctant Peter to play an important role in the process. Transformation. Conversion. Change. Now, sometimes it happens when people are looking for it. But sometimes it happens when people may not be looking for it. And such seems to be the case in our text. You know, from the time I was a teenager, I've always heard this passage preached under the theme of the conversion of Cornelius. But as I've looked more closely at Acts chapter 10, this passage is not just about Cornelius' transformation, but it's also about Peter's. Peter 
undergoes a number of different changes. And both live out Jesus' words from Matthew 18, except you change, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Both of them undergo change in our text. And as the text moves forward, it's as though we're watching a tennis match. And the audience has to turn their head left and then turn their head right if they're going to keep up with all the action. And so we begin in scene one, where we have Cornelius in Caesarea. And Cornelius has three strikes against him. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman citizen. He's a member of the army that occupies the land of Israel. But he also has some good points. He feared and respected God. He consistently gave to and supported the poor. He regularly prayed to God, Acts 10.2. And so this Cornelius has a vision. A vision where an angel comes from God to tell him and give him a message. And the message is to send for Peter. Send for Peter. And so he does. And while his messengers are on the road to retrieve Peter, the scene shifts from Caesarea, where Cornelius is, to Joppa, where Peter is staying. Peter has a vision. 21 hours after Cornelius' encounter with an angel. And in this vision, Peter is shown clean and unclean animals, according to his Jewish upbringing, according to the way it understood Scripture. God tells him now, though, kill and eat. Kill and eat, Peter, kill and eat, kill and eat. And three different times, Peter says, No. 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 As we move to scene three, Cornelius' messengers reach Joppa. His messengers arrive and they recount Cornelius' experience and pass it on to Peter. And they pass on to Peter Cornelius' desire for Peter to come to Caesarea. Now Peter, not being fully sure of what is happening here and why it's happening, but for some reason he understands that it's God who's involved in this process and it's God who is leading him. And so Peter prepares to head off to Caesarea. And he takes along with him a few Jewish leaders, perhaps as future witnesses. Back in Caesarea, Cornelius eagerly awaits Peter's arrival. And so a scene four unfolds in Acts 10, verse 23 to 33. Peter arrives to Caesarea, and Cornelius describes his vision to Peter, as well as to Peter's entourage. Peter then explains that he's violating a Jewish law by entering the home of a Gentile, but that he's doing it because God instructed him in a vision. He understood the memo. Cornelius again recounts his vision, and then the scene is said for Peter's response as we move to our final scene, scene 5, 
Acts 10, verses 34 to 43. Peter speaks words that would turn this community of believers into a into a joint Jewish-Gentile phenomenon. I truly understand God shows no partiality. Acts 10, 34. This is a complete reversal of how many Jews viewed themselves. They saw themselves as the quote-unquote favorite of God, which justified them excluding Gentiles. Peter was initially reluctant to do what God commanded him to do. It would have been very uncomfortable for a Jewish person to eat the meat of animals deemed unclean, since all of their lives they had been taught that that was a sin. It also would have been very uncomfortable for Peter to enter a Gentile's home, have fellowship with him, to eat and to drink and have a conversation. Because he was taught all of his life to avoid Gentiles. It was hard for Peter to override his discomforts. But he chose to do so in obedience to God. He knew that God's mission, what God wanted to do inside of him, was bigger and more important than his comfort zone. More important than him being comfortable. You know, I think we too often find ourselves often find it hard to obey God when our comfort zone is involved. I think you're probably right along with me. You know, we allow what we're comfortable with or what we've become used to to become the barometer that determines whether or not we will be open to the change or the changes that God desires inside of us. Often the change is not simply for ourselves, too. Often it's to prepare us for a greater purpose, a purpose much bigger than ourselves. Just as God spoke to Peter earlier in our message, and Peter said no three different times, you know, God may prod you in a little different way. And so God communicates to you. I'd like for you to bring your kids to Sunday school, uh, Bible classes on Sunday morning. But your comfort barometer says, wait, this is the only day that I can sleep in. And my sleep is really, really important. It's more important than my kids' spiritual development. And so you tell God no. And God communicates to you again. You know, I'd like for you to volunteer and teach for a quarter. Teach for a quarter at the church, but your personal comfort barometer kicks in. And you tell yourself, you know, I have other things. I have other things that I want to do with my time that are more important than preparing a Sunday school lesson for 13 weeks. And so, once again, you tell God, no, no, God, wait, wait a few years. And again, God sends a message to you. I'd like for you to invite someone over to your home for a meal or out to dinner. But then your personal comfort barometer kicks in. You know, I'd feel awkward doing that. I'd feel awkward besides I'm too busy with all these extra projects from work. And, and once again, 
your comfort barometer overrides what God is nudging you to do. Our comforts can keep us closed off to doing what God desires. In fact, we come up with pretty good justifications for why we can tell God no. You know, God has a mission that he really wants to accomplish in this world. And he is facing all kinds of obstacles to the ideals that he desires. And when you and I reject his call, in a sense, we become another one of those obstacles to him accomplishing his mission. As long as you and I give our comfort barometers power to call the shots, the change and transformation that God desires inside of us will not happen. But you know, it may take years, but God will never give up. He is always hopeful. He longs for a new beginning in you. He longs for a new beginning in me. And he will not stop calling. He will not stop offering. He will not stop extending his hand. You know, it's a bit dangerous to say no to God and close yourself off to a change that he may desire in you. You know, in Peter's conversion to accepting Gentiles, he says, who am I to argue with the Holy Spirit? In fact, as you read through Acts 10 and 11, he says it in a variety of ways, more than two or three times. You and I want to be careful of rejecting something the Holy Spirit may desire in us, or direction the Holy Spirit may be leading us in. God is at work, and He wants to work on us, He wants to work in us, and He wants to work through us. But first... We have to listen to Him. We have to submit to Him. And then we have to allow Him to shape us. And oftentimes, that involves overriding our comfort zone. As I mentioned before, I was principal of Bible training school in Papua New Guinea. It's called Melanesian Bible College. I was there for six years before working myself out of a job and and handing over the reins of the school to Jab Mesa, Papua New Guinean, and right now the school is running better than it ever has. Um, my last year as principal, we were having a graduation, uh, and it was the first graduation of our new program, and so it was a pretty special one. And because all the churches in Lay played, in the city of Lay played an important role and the school's success, all the churches wanted to be involved in the graduation. And so we had a combined worship service with three, four different churches in the area. And they asked me to speak. And as I spoke, I talked about different things. I just reminisced. Talked about one of our students who was ministering in a province very foreign to his village, very foreign to his home. And a tribal fight broke out. A fight broke out while he was ministering there. Someone got killed. 
And even though it was extremely dangerous for him, Kimo courageously crossed enemy lines, retrieved the dead man's body, carried it home so that his family could have his body and have a proper burial. I mentioned in my sermon how another man, another one who I students baptized a number of people in the village that he was serving in. I also shared in that message some of the Papua New Guinea's favorite stories about me and my miscues and my mistakes with the culture and with the language. And of course, that got the biggest laugh because they loved hearing about Woody's mistakes. As I finished my message that day, 715 people praised God for all the different ways in which God had worked in the lives of these young men who had ministered in villages and in the lives of their wives who were shaped for ministry in PNG. As worship ended, we gave hugs, and then I began the five-minute walk from the church building to the school where we'd gather and eat one final meal. And as I walked, one of my students ran up to me, took my hand. We walked hand in hand. Me, and a Papua New Guinean, hand in hand, then shoulder to shoulder, all the way to the school grounds for one more celebration. No alarms went off inside of my head. There was no discomfort. Walking hand in hand with this Papua New Guinean had become my new normal. Not only had God done something with the student that I taught, but God had done something with me, and they were the tools that God used to change me. I was like one of them now. Even though it was uncomfortable six years earlier, God never gave up on me. And neither did the students or the people that I ministered to, that Judy and I ministered to. Like I mentioned earlier, Change, transformation, conversion is a process. And if you and I will allow it, God will make changes that we may not realize until we're looking back, until we're reminiscing. Many of us have made our comfort zones our gods. Over the years, everything has bowed down to what we prefer to what makes us happy. We all hate to leave our comfort zones. You know, this season of COVID-19 can attest to that, can it? But one thing that we've learned in 2020 during this COVID-19 period that we are still experiencing, one thing we've learned is that we can do hard things. We can forego comforts that were important to us. We can adapt. We can change. And even though living behind comforts may be challenging, we've proven that we can do it. We can do it. 
There's nothing that's too hard for us. Jesus calls us to take up his cross and to follow him. Oftentimes that means going through some discomfort. But we know from experience that's how lasting growth occurs. And so, from this day forward in 2021, let's make a commitment to grow in our faith, in our belief, to grow in our belief, to grow in our trust of a God who, is, who has but the best in mind for us. And when he asks us to do something, let's listen and not allow our comfort zones to override God's will or what God desires. And so, if you're an introvert, when God prods you to greet and welcome guests, override your discomfort for a mission that's larger than your discomfort. And those of you who are ashamed of their imperfect houses, when God moves you to extend hospitality to someone and invite them into your home, override that discomfort for a mission that's larger than it. And when those who experience awkwardness in talking with teenagers are nudged by God to enter a conversation with a teen, override your discomfort for a mission that is so much larger. Now these three different groups that I mentioned are pushing themselves out of their comfort zones to be obedient to God's call to a purpose that God has. So, how about you? In what ways have you said no to God in the past? Because you'd just rather not leave your comfort zone. You'd rather not experience discomfort. You may be tired of letting your comfort zone have control over your life. You may be interested in learning more about Jesus and more about what he desires of you. You may be in need of our prayers. I'd like to encourage you to text or email Jacob or Justin. They would love to hear from you. They would love to respond to your needs. May God bless you. And I pray that you'll be open to God's leading as he leads you into this Tri-Valley area to be the difference makers that he calls you to be. God bless you.